to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Ryan Jordan, the Director of Programs and Technology for AdoptAClassroom.org. Ryan, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me today. I'm really excited. We are at Dreamforce um, talking a lot about Salesforce.org implementations, all kinds of things. And I have some very interesting questions to talk with you about that. But before we just go jumping into that, for folks that aren't familiar with the mission and the work that you do at Adopt a Classroom, can you just tell a little bit about what that is? Sure thing. So, you know, our, our name sort of gives it away, right? <laughs> We're adoptaclassroom.org. And you might wonder if you're not in the education world or particularly in the public education world in the U.S., uh, why do classrooms need adopting? Well, the, the issue that we try to solve is that teachers spend out of pocket on classroom supplies. In fact, uh, according to some recent surveys, teachers, 96% of teachers buy materials for their students out of their own money. And the average teacher in the U.S. across all K-12 schools is spending $740 a year of their own money on classroom supplies. And over a quarter of those teachers spend over $1,000 annually. We know that's uh, particularly on a public school teacher's salary. That's a lot of money. So Adopt-A-Classroom has been around. We're now in our 20th year. And we're, we're working to advance equity in education. Our, our mission is powering today's classrooms to uh, prepare tomorrow's graduates. And we're really believe that teachers know best what their students need. And it's these teachers that are often filling the gaps, particularly in these higher needs schools where families just might not be able to afford the school supplies that, you know, the school sends a big list home at the beginning of the right. year and things run out during the year and teachers don't want their students to go without teachers really care. And so they're spending and, and we believe that those teachers deserve a hand. So we're doing what we can to try to fill that gap and get supplies into the classrooms where they're needed most. So um, any geographic restriction on classrooms that you help? Do you focus on an area or? Yeah, great question. Uh, though we're headquartered in Minneapolis, Minnesota, we are a nationwide organization. Most of the work we do happens through our website, which is, of course, our namesake. And so we work with all K through 12 schools in the U.S. So that includes not only public, but also um, privates, um, parochial, charter, whole range. Uh, we work with teachers in uh, Puerto Rico. In fact, our executive director is down there this week um, doing some work. We we did a lot of fundraising efforts after Hurricane Maria there to try to help some of those schools get things a little bit back to normal. Obviously, that's an ongoing effort. So yeah, any any teacher at an accredited school is eligible to participate in one of our programs. So no small audience to talk to, but I'm sure, uh, well, I, I was going to make a, a snarky little remark about the large technology staff and on the huge resources you have to throw at this problem. And of course, the reason I asked you in particular for a little bit of time is because you were just in a session um, about the, the small but mighty nonprofit that um, doesn't have as much resources, maybe your typical Salesforce, either in .org, let alone Salesforce.com um, implementers may have at their disposal. And I think it's really important to talk about um, what is it like for an organization that doesn't have a very large internal technology staff or you know lots of management team staff finance professionals to use something as powerful as what Salesforce brings to the table and that can seem a little overwhelming so to just kind of set some context of uh, small and mighty um, you know what, what kind of uh, employment size or budget size do you describe adopt a classroom for your own internal needs not what goes out to serve the, the actual mission yeah so Obviously, we're, we're working with, like I said, teachers across the country. So 
got tens of thousands of teachers registered and using our site every day. Of course, thousands of donors, individuals supporting those teachers, work with big corporate sponsors, definitely some you would know of, companies like Farmers Insurance and Lane Bryant. And our staff is just 10 full-time people, um, 12 in total. We've got a couple uh, contract workers in there. But the only way we're able to do it is is through that technology. Our our annual uh, operating revenue is around $5 million a year. And it's almost exclusively coming from donations, like I said, made by individual donors and our corporate sponsors. And most of that money, a great majority, is going directly to those teachers to buy those classroom supplies. So we don't have a big operating budget in terms of staff. And when it comes to our technology spend, it's actually only in the past couple of months that we had anyone on staff that even had technology in their title, right? Until recently, anything we were doing in terms of development or implementation was being done by people who were on our program staff or on our marketing team. Or in some cases, of course, we do use developers and outside you know, digital agencies on a project basis, but relying on a lot of <laughs> pro bono and in-kind support from those organizations to be able to get that done. It's such an important conversation in the context of Salesforce, though, to say most of the charitable work that happens in the United States is happening by those, you know, 10, 15 person shops. You know, there there are absolutely an awful lot of very, very big nonprofits, but there are so many more of us that are um, smaller, um, doesn't have a, a, a very deep bench on lots and lots of technology staff or, or fundraising staff. Of the people that are there, pretty much everybody is doing some lifting and program delivery and, you know, picking up other duties kind of as assigned. Um, so in those circumstances, uh, it, it can seem a little overwhelming to go, what what technology solutions do we bring to bear? Because we want something that uh, certainly leverages as much mission work as we can, but we can't get buried in so much technology administration that we can't ever get anything done. And here's where I think .org is a really interesting case study to go, all right, you go to your average ordinary you know, 10-person nonprofit and say, we're using the world's largest CRM tool ever to do this work. And like, well... How many thousands of people do you have? Um, so how long have you been using Salesforce uh, in in this work? Uh, and how did that decision happen? Like, let's go ahead and pick up a tool that's usually thought of as a very, very large institutional thing. Well, we, we found ourselves in that exact conundrum you were just describing yeah. for the first uh, 15 or so years of our organization's history. We were doing everything with proprietary software, so using an SQL database and all of these solutions built on top of it by different developers at different periods of time, people with different levels of uh, technical skill and a pretty messy overall architecture. And it worked well enough for Mm -hmm. what we needed to do, right? But it just wasn't going to be scalable. Every time we needed to have a new solution, we had to develop a new uh, technology product to match that. And any time that we ever had to bring on a new developer, onboarding that person especially when you're talking about working with a a third-party vendor to ask them to come in and learn the complexities of a system that's been built by Mm -hmm. a number of different individuals over many years to to say nothing of just getting them to understand your organization's mission and how your programs work so they can see the why of what they're doing. It, It just created a huge barrier to entry there. So actually it was in 2015, we were working with an organization called Go-Kart Labs. They're a a digital strategy agency based in Minneapolis. And 
they had offered to help us kind of rethink our systems because we knew we needed something that was going to be more sustainable, more scalable for us. And before they just presented us with some solutions, they actually posed a question to us that I think was really critical in our organization's history. They asked us, does adoptaclassroom.org want to be a technology company that mm. essentially has a nonprofit mission, right? <laughs> or do we want to be a nonprofit that uses technology to serve our mission? And, you know, it might seem obvious um, to someone like me, who's a background and professional life in the nonprofit world that, well, of course, you want to be mission first, mission driven, and just find the tools that help sure. you do that. But, you know, there's a lot of companies that that start for one purpose and realize they've built this technology, they've invested so heavily in it that now that's the product. Yeah. And right. So we could have tried to sell that, tried to license it, tried to further lean into that, hire less program staff, hire more tech staff. But I just didn't feel right to the, the folks on our team. And there are companies for whom that's a great decision, but for adopt a classroom, most of us there had come to the organization because we're mission driven and we believed in, trying to better the education system in our country, particularly by supporting teachers. And so for us, it was really clear we need to do what was going to allow us to serve the most teachers, impact the most students. And so we need to rely on some expert technology to get that done. And so with the help of GoCart, we looked at a lot of different systems. And of course, Salesforce is one that is uh, always out there. And many people on our team were already familiar with, had used at other organizations. And I don't think any of us really understood the entire ecosystem of the nonprofit success pack until we started doing this research a little deeper and realized how many of the tools we were already using had Salesforce integrations, things like um, MailChimp and mm -hmm. Classy, Question Pro. So a lot of tools that you know, listeners are probably familiar with. And that made the decision to sort of build a new system in that environment a little bit easier because there was a comfort of knowing we already have a familiarity with a lot of these tools. We can use them and bring them all in one environment. And so having a system like .org, which uh, particularly in the with the NPSP installation has a donation model, it was, was great to have that starting point. Of course, we had a lot of customization on top of it, but just having that, that system there that that expertise and knowing that the, the team at Salesforce, particularly on the, the support side, had worked with all sorts of different nonprofit models and knowing they'd be able to help us figure out the best solution for our organization, it, it gave us a lot of confidence that this was going to be the right tool. And of course, you know, Salesforce is pretty, uh, pretty heavily uh, leveraged in the technology space by a lot of other companies. So we knew it was going to be around for a while, right? Right. Well, it's a really interesting point of the decision-making of uh, where do you want to put your time and energy into this stuff to think. Uh, you know, some folks that are very specific to the nonprofit sector um, could be bought out by Blackboard tomorrow. I mean, that's happened six ways to Sunday. And, uh, you know, Absolutely. they either integrate that into their existing product lines, which means you have to change, or they just kill it outright, which means you have to change. And uh, to, to think about, right, Salesforce is not going anywhere anytime soon, um, except by adding, you know, different layers of, 
um, functionality. So you, you mentioned um, what was originally, and maybe at the time that you started, called the Nonprofit Starter Pack, and now the Nonprofit Success Pack, and now I think just Nonprofit Cloud, if I'm understanding the transitions right. Um, the, the language around what do we already have integrated sort of as your beginning place. We know you want to do donations. You're a nonprofit, clearly. Um, probably, and I just had um, a conversation with Josue Estrada talking about the, the um, single record source or single source um, record that um, you, you need to understand who's a client, who's a donor, who's a community supporter, who are all three of those things or two of them or whatever. So all of those things are kind of built into the core product that um, you have available. But then there's this ecosystem out there of all these other apps that integrate to it so that if you've already used Classy and you know how to use that and you want to continue to use that, it integrates to that single source of record thing and, and helps it all work. Um, but, um, boy, the, the, the level of um, what Jose was saying is, is don't be scared. The level of scared out there is pretty substantial for a small organization to go, if we get into something that big, are we going to be able to turn that battleship? Are we going to be able to really make that thing do what we want? Or are we going to end up spending so much money on developers and outsourcing partners just to customize it to make it do what we want, and then they're going to change it three months from now and we have to customize it again? Um, that's got to have been part of the decision, but how's your lived experience uh, of that been since you came into 2015-ish? Yeah, yeah, really valid concern and definitely for uh, staff who have used other products in the past. There is a level of adoption. That's going to be true with any new system, but it's uh, amazing how quickly you can overcome those things just by doing things as simple as changing labels, right? Mm. And I think... Uh, sometimes people get stuck in thinking about a particular model. You know, Salesforce is a sales-based system. And so you have things like obviously a primary object in there is the opportunity object and it has the sales pipeline and different different stages that you're going through. And that sort of language makes a lot of sense to people in um, sales, particularly in B2B sales. And for us at a at a nonprofit where people are coming from different ways of thinking in terms of sales and even thinking about an opportunity, just changing the name of that object to account transactions quickly helped our team be able to see, oh, this is what that stands for. And, and we use that same object and just by different record types for donations, for corporate sponsorships, for adjustments we're making to accounts for orders that teachers are placing for those classroom supplies to our vendor partners. And that's another thing that's really elegant about the Salesforce solution. In the old system, you know, rather than having those record types, we'd have what essentially amounted to different objects. And so teachers were one object and donors are another object. And then, well, for a corporate partner, let's just call them a donor and treat them mm -hmm. as an individual contact because we don't really have something like an account level. We don't have households. So if we've got two donors that are uh, of the same family, we don't have any way of n connecting that in our system. So we don't really have any way of knowing it or reporting on it in a meaningful way. So having the household model, still being able to connect all of those donors to an organization that they might work for is super useful. And we're just accomplishing all of that through record types. So every, every individual is a contact in our system. And many of those contacts are affiliated with an account. And if you're a teacher, that 
that primary affiliation might be the school that you work for. If you're a donor, it might be a company you work for. For everyone, there's the household affiliation. That's part of, of course, the uh, nonprofit model in Salesforce. And having different page layouts for all of those things. Again, it, it seems so simple for those of us who are really entrenched in the .org environment now. But that was really game-changing for us, knowing we can spin up custom fields for anything we need and only display them on the record types that it's valuable to have that field and not have all this clutter, all this junk that we don't need to see. It allows our staff, whether they're in marketing development or programs and operations, to just see the information that's relevant to the contacts that they're working with. And it, to me, provides more flexibility than we when we were building a, a from-scratch solution because we very easily can clone and customize existing functionality and work off of what's already there rather than starting from scratch each time around. So not as much concern that uh, changes to the overall Salesforce platform is going to kind of force you to do more customization? You think that any of those label changes that help everybody see things are going to stick through even if the, the core product evolves? Or do you think that is just part of the cost of doing business and you just get used to amending as you need to amend? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, so far, there have been, there's a few things probably with each major Salesforce release that are adjustments. Uh, luckily, having the the sandbox environment to always be installing those releases ahead of time and seeing the impacts can help us kind of ward off any concerns at the get-go. Uh, I also have found a, a real level of responsiveness from the Salesforce support team in terms of getting a preview of what's coming down the road. And then also when we have a question about how that is going to impact our model and in the way we've always looked at it. And again, it harkens back to that, that question we talked about before, but we want a technology solution that is going to flow out of how our, our programs and development cycle work. We, we don't want to be customizing what we're doing as an organization based on the technology we yeah. have, because to your point, the technology can change and uh, I've I've certainly found and I think this is true of many nonprofits I've worked for it's it's much easier to to change the technology to work a little bit more on the the setup and tweaking side when there's new releases than to get your your staff and your team to change their practices and and behave differently and so the overall function of Salesforce and the the object model that's there feels pretty stable. And while we know there's going to be changes to the platform, I mean, certainly even just moving from classic to lightning is a thing I'm hearing a lot of people talk about this week here at Dreamforce. And of course, that was the topic last year. Right. <laughs> It'll remember. be a topic next year. Yeah. I, I, but, you know, to me, that's a, um, as somebody who loves to live in technology, uh, for me, looking at um, the lightning implementation, I'm like, oh, that makes more sense. And I've just moved on. That was kind of the intent, the entire process for me. But I recognize that a lot of people that work in um, nonprofit organizations, specifically in the charitable world, are like, I knew where everything was in my old version. You know, I, 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 it was familiar. And now asking me to look at it slightly differently 
isn't for me a happy experience of, oh, wow, that makes more sense. I'm ready to move forward. And um, I, I get that that's maybe part of the overall conversation about more smaller, medium-sized organizations moving into this that, you know, sure, of course, there's um, uh, trailhead stuff that you can be doing and there's new pieces. But many of the people that in, in that small and scrappy world don't want to do those things in my experience. So kind of helping them into it because they see the results change. Um, is is great. Now, I was just having a conversation with somebody else about um, stuff that takes this this visual presentation question to a whole different place when you talk about um, using this stuff either as a progressive web app or as an actual application on a mobile device where you know the it might make more sense for some organizations or, or others. Now, as, as teachers being a core part of your constituency, um, do, do you have to be thinking about are they going to want to talk about making requests on something that's more mobile? Or is it pretty easy to say, no, we've got this this desktop experience that really works. We don't have to think about that part. Donors, I think, we're all talking about the mobile-first experience. But in terms Absolutely. of your teacher space, is that part of like looking at what, what the nonprofit cloud offers to think about mobile versus not? Yeah, certainly. So we use the Salesforce community for our teacher environments. And so that's what teachers are accessing and what they're logging into to manage their profile, order materials for the classroom, anything of, of that sort. And so any changes to that community platform are things that we need to be aware of how those are going to work, not just in that desktop environment, but on mobile. And, you know, I think for us too, it's always testing, not just mobile, but the the tablet experience. Yes. That's such a big thing in the education world, sure, right? Sure, of course. And so many districts are, you know, one, one-to-one, -one, like one tablet for every student. And, and teachers are using those tablets to access that environment. And with a lot of web-based applications, they are built pretty intelligently to recognize when a user is on a, a mobile device and present a certain experience. But depending on your tablet, you may or may not, uh, your browser may not be telling you it's a mobile experience. Mm -hmm. And maybe it is telling you it's a mobile experience, but you've got a very large scale tablet and right. you, you actually want that desktop experience and yes. you want the ability to quickly toggle. And when we're presenting, for example, a, a teacher who logs into their account upon having recently received a donation is presented with a little pop-up modal that tells them, you know, you've got this donation from this donor and send them a, a thank you message. It allows them to type a custom message that goes directly to that donor via email. And that modal has to be presented in a way that allows that text box to be immediately obvious. Uh, you be able to see all the text that you're you're typing in. Uh, to say nothing of the, the modal is an overlay on the entire community oh. landing page, right? And so how how are you able to close that model? How are you able to navigate away from it? And these are, are really simple solutions to see on a desktop experience, but in a mobile environment, particularly knowing that there are several different types of mobile operating systems and browsers, those get rendered a lot of different ways. So for us, there is a comfort in knowing that when we're developing, yeah, we're, we're testing and looking at things in different environments, but knowing that it's already been done by a company that is developing this for millions of users that takes a lot of the the stress and frankly development burden 
away from us from having to know and keep up to date with all of the, the changes that are being rolled out by those particular operating systems or browsers. So that tends to be one of, for us, the value add of using an organization like Salesforce to manage that solution. Yeah, you know, my go-to when I'm out meeting with clients is uh, uh, traveling with a Chromebook. And the number of times that, um, because it's a convertible Chromebook and it'll flip over into tablet mode if I wanted to, Mm -hmm. the number of times that I get treated as if I am uh, on a a smaller mobile device, even though I have a 14-inch screen in front of me, uh, is kind of amazing to me. I'm like, how do you make that mistake? How does that happen? So, you know, for the user to not feel like they can do what they want to do in the size device that they've got. And I got to think Chromebooks are also popular in education. So you'll see those kind of pop up. Um, uh, So those are really interesting kind of use cases that, you know, you probably don't want to spend loads and loads of your time trying to troubleshoot. And if the platform, you know, kind of makes that happen, do you have uh, any like feeling like we need to be testing these things ourselves? Or do you like mostly think, Salesforce has done a lot of that, and we just have to make sure we've looked at the implementation relatively quickly, or how does that work for you? Yeah, I'd like to say it's all the former. But <laughs> <laughs> the truth is, I, you know, we are pretty re- reliant on knowing that our technology platforms are being serviced by, you know, frankly, the companies we're, we're paying to, yeah, to service them. Right. But but also it's a reality of, of just time in the nonprofit world. And I yeah. think that speaks to something you were talking about earlier when it comes to adoption of new technology like, like Lightning or something. It's great if you can immediately show the use case, but it better be more than just an aesthetic improvement, right? Like it can't just be like, well, the the display is better and it might be a little bit faster because it's not going to be faster if, like you said, you have to learn where everything is a new time. And if there's no redundancy on your team, like as a small organization, most of the people on our staff, the thing that they spend the majority of their doing, they're the only one doing it. Yeah. So <laughs> if they have a question about it, it's they, they come to me or they figure it out themselves or they have to go on trailhead, find a solution. But it's... It's really challenging. It's it's not like it is in a bigger organization where if you're making some sort of change like that, you can bring in someone to do a training. You can know that people on the team will figure it out, that every team has those couple people that are ambitious, overachievers that are going to learn it and want to be the expert and help the team along. Like You need everyone to be that <laughs> overachieving uh, self-starter in an organization where you've just got one person in the financial suite and one person on the development side working on the communications plans so it it really does make any change to the underlying technology uh really critical to be able to quickly explain to to my team what the the value proposition of making that change is and if if i can't or if i don't feel like there is a clear enough value proposition we'll just keep using the old system until we're forced into a new one and i know that's really not a best practice especially for someone who's got technology in their job title. But the the truth of it is that as a small organization, we're all strapped for time and we want to be the most efficient we can be. And sometimes that means we're only going to take time to learn the new technology when it's 
immediately obvious how it's going to increase that efficiency or when we've just got no other solution. Right. Well, and, and I appreciate that. And that's why I wanted to speak with you in particular out of everybody that is presenting at these sessions and, and sharing their information that uh, it is important for us to recognize in small teams, it does make a difference to sometimes think we aren't going to just move into the next thing. If we can't see the cost benefit really working out um, in the amount of staff time and challenge with all those things. Um, that that's good to know that um, that happens at the small level, and of course it, it still happens at, at large scale. The, the number of um, uh, Windows Seven machines that I see out there <laughs> in the corporate world, because they know how to manage them, you know, and and bringing in uh, a whole other operating system that has to be managed differently doesn't give them enough benefit to switch. And that's the same kind of concept at the small scale. Of yes, it's for some of us that are more digital native, it's nicer, and and I um, I. Think think that it's good to make that differentiation, especially within nonprofit employees, that some people are just kind of digital natives. And you give them a new UI and they go, I see how this works. And that's the end of the conversation. They just go with it. Um, and sometimes people like to attribute that to a generational thing. And I don't think it is because um, I, I often operate that way and I'm you know well into the Gen X folks. But, um, but whatever it is about digital natives, I, I don't know that we see a lot of them in program delivery in the nonprofit world, right? They, they, it happens sometimes, but not everybody. So it's good to recognize that if that's going to be a challenge as a small organization, let's just postpone stuff and use what works well. That's a good learning, but um, you know, eventually you may end up getting forced as something just isn't supported anymore. But those don't happen quickly. I mean, usually you've got some time in that. Yeah, and I find that you know all of those types of changes, those those upgrades, improvements to to the interface, those are always motivated by the company that's making them, right? So there's use cases out there for them. So oftentimes what I'll find at, at Adopted Classroom is that we just haven't found the use case yet yeah. for it. But because we are a small organization and we're always kind of customizing programs and working with sponsors on new things, that eventually we will find the use case. And that's often how we end up uh, moving into those upgrades and improvements and new platforms is because we realize, oh, that thing that we didn't really think we had a use for previously, now we're presented with, oh, that'd be really helpful to have now. And now you're sort of crunched to learn it because you need it for program delivery that day. But it is <laughs> useful because then once everyone on your team can see, oh, that's going to help us do this thing that we know we need to do, then the adoption happens much quicker. Well, that's so. Yeah, I think that's just a, a great insight. Um, I, I want to ask a little bit more about the the question of: uh, Are you a technology company that does nonprofit things, or a nonprofit that uses technology? Um, some of it is about when the tools change and becomes easier to change your program delivery. You can change your program delivery, so uh, it gives you more opportunity to think about how you accomplish your mission in the world. Um, right now, the focus, as I just heard you talk about it, is to uh, help meet the needs of those teachers that are paying out of pocket for those kinds of things. But you said you've got um, fulfillment partners that you're working with. So you're hearing a need from a teacher and you're facilitating the purchase in some cases or all cases, or are you reimbursing teachers who have paid out of pocket? Well, how does that work in the actual implementation? Yeah, yeah, great question. So when teachers come to our site, they set up a, a fundraising page for their classroom. They can talk about the, the needs they have. They can set a fundraising goal that how much they want to raise for the given school year and tell a little bit about you know their school how many students they have what subjects they teach what grade levels 
and that classroom page immediately gets published on our website so teachers can share that with their network of potential supporters you know friends family of course they're posting on social media and many of those teachers will receive funds from people they know but there's a lot of teachers that don't have access to a network like that mm -hmm. so of course, we post those pages on our site and donors can come and search and maybe your donor's particularly interested in supporting art in elementary sure. schools. So we make it easy to find those classrooms and sponsor those teachers. But we've also started what we call our spotlight funds. And these are particular funds that donors can contribute to for things like art education or inclusivity in the classroom. Mm -hmm. We've got our STEM funds, got our disaster relief funds that uh, helps schools impacted by natural disasters. And so donors can come on, contribute to one of those funds, and then in cycles throughout the year, teachers will apply to receive funds from us, and that helps us be able to deliver supplies to those teachers who might not have a network to provide for them. Functionally, how it works is that when those teachers receive donations or receive a disbursement from one of our spotlight funds or are sponsored by one of our corporate partners, in any case, those funds go into an online account for the teacher. So basically, they're getting a, an email that says, hey, you received X amount of money from this donor and log on to your account now. And they'll, they'll log on, send that thank you note that I mentioned earlier so that the donor gets that from the teacher. And then we actually manage our Adopt-A-Classroom Marketplace, which is a sort of B2B to C environment where we've got a number of vendor partners. So some large uh, general suppliers you've heard of, Best Buy, Office Depot, School Specialty, and then some, some vendors that specialize in products. Uh, we work with Wonder Workshop, which makes a couple of uh, classroom robotics materials. Mm. We work with the Board Share, which is smart boards, a number of, of different vendors, and the teacher can order those materials on our site using their donated funds. And as soon as an order is placed, that order is transmitted to the vendor. The vendor is drop shipping those items to the teacher at their school location and then invoicing Adopt a Classroom so that we can, of course, pay for those items using the donated materials. And so it's really great for us because we can see exactly what teachers are ordering. And if we find out from from teachers that hey we're we're really in need of this product and you know we don't see it on your website we will be able to reimburse them for a purchase or you know make some sort of exception there but generally we use that feedback to go find new vendor partners who can provide that item so it's much faster and teachers don't have to spend that money also managing that marketplace allows us to see trends in purchasing yeah. that information is super helpful for us in terms of um finding new sponsors, new vendor partners. And it also allows us to create these impact reports that are sent to donors. So each time, if I if I go and adopt a classroom and contribute to a, a teacher and they order materials, I get an email that shows me exactly what was ordered and the teacher can send another note there. And that sort of completes that, uh, that virtuous cycle that we talk about so often in the nonprofit world where I'm seeing the actual impact that my dollars made in the tangible products that are being delivered so I can see, oh, they, they ordered two cases of, of paper. Like that's weird. Don't, don't schools provide copy paper? Well, a lot of schools provide 
one ream of paper at the beginning of the year, and then from there on out, the teachers are、yeah. are providing it. So if I see it as a donor, that might be a real wake up call and might make me want to help restock that classroom with some more paper later in the year or sponsor another teacher at the same school. Well, and this is one of the reasons I asked that question is I wanted to、um, kind of suggest if the technology could drive you to think about the problem that you're solving in a different way.、Um, if you can see sort of universally,、uh, teachers are being asked to pay for copy paper, and there is probably a level of、um, uh, just sort of general what you know, I, you know,、uh, for people that you know. Know, maybe don't have kids、yeah. in a classroom in that community or what, whatever that that they are surprised by that. One solution to that problem is, is get them some paper, you know, here.、Um, but it's sort of the teaching them to fish versus giving them the fish thing. Is like is another solution to the problem raising awareness within a community that our schools are underfunded. They are choosing not to buy things because they don't have money from their traditional sources. Do you, as Adopt a Classroom, start saying how do we talk to people about、um, gathering together and doing some advocacy and learning more about what's happening in their communities that impacts classrooms?、Uh, does that become a role when you have all this data that you know you could really see a bigger picture than any one classroom maybe sees? You know, I, I can see where a specific classroom or a specific donor may see that just one problem, but when you see this bigger realm of problems, do you? Start Start thinking to yourself: Do we use this information in ways of not just buying the paper, but talking about why aren't why isn't there paper? Yeah, that's that's totally right. In fact, our executive director likes to say, you know, there are there are big problems in the education funding model here、right. in the U.S. Right, and adopt a classroom isn't going to solve those. We're we're a band aid solution, right? It'd be great if、uh, our reason for being just Went away next year. Everyone on our team is super intelligent. They'd find something else to do with their time. I promise you. But in the meantime, we do see there's this need, and, and we're going to、mm-hmm. help fulfill that. But yes, having that data does allow us to talk differently to other organizations as well as to our constituencies. So、uh, on the on the first part there, you know, we are friendly with other organizations in the space. So.、Um, Certainly, some of your listeners have probably heard of Donors Choose or、mm-hmm. the Kids in Need Foundation, and、um, you know we believe the more of us in this space, the better. There's a lot of problems to be solved out、right. there.、Uh, we work with the NEA, and we've always tried to be、uh, on the pulse of what's going on in the education world in the U.S.、I'm、very cognizant of. Teacher strikes that are happening across the country right now, and、yeah. some of the the reasoning around a lot、those. of these issues that you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, in addition to talking to those organizations and figuring out what everyone else is doing, and just seeing, hey, are we all seeing these same issues? We're talking to our our donor base and our, our corporate sponsors about that, you know, largely through social media and through our blog, and trying to highlight those issues and say, hey, here's a way you can help right now, but also. Let's take a look at why this problem even exists in the first place, and let's figure out a better way that we can all solve these problems. And certainly, you know, technology is one such solution for a lot of those. And thinking about how classrooms will look in the future, and、yeah. even starting to see some of that change just in the five years that I've been with the organization, and seeing some of those those shifts in what teachers are purchasing, particularly at the the secondary. Education level and seeing things move away from physical products to lots of software, right? Lots、yeah. of online courses, materials like that that are、um, 
you know, certainly an upfront cost and investment, but then a little more sustainable, a little more renewable than your pencil paper model. Though, of course, there'll always be a place for uh, physical materials in sure. classrooms. So, yeah, it's a it's a great question, and it's certainly something that we hope to to do more of. You know, frankly, it's it, we're such a a young organization in the scope of things. We talk about the education system in the U.S., and uh, everyone on our team has various levels of background in the education system. Some of us have have worked in schools or been on school boards. Many people on our team, of course, have uh, had had kids in public schools. And so we've got different levels of expertise that we bring. But then, like you said, we learn so much through the work that we do. And we really do want to use that data, not just to promote the work we're doing, but to bring awareness to the overall issue and try to participate in some advocacy around how we as a country can better support those providing education to our students. Right. And it's uh, very interesting because the the nature of how education is delivered in this country you know, at a school district level uh, tends to um, get people to focus on a very, very small segment of the world, um, but not necessarily understanding what's happening in the district next to you or let alone the district in two states away um, where things are, are completely different. And being able to help people learn more about um, what it means for you to have an impact on the classroom that you learned about, but also this bigger picture thing, all of the data and the technology and all the rest of it that has to move that around for a team of 10 people, you know, 10 years ago, that's just an unthinkable way of solving the problem. But the technology is getting a lot better. And now it does seem to me like, well, you are confronted with the challenge of we know things that we didn't maybe know 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And um, it's a really interesting part of how do you deal with the mission thing that um, the technology lets you ask. Now, how you choose to answer it, of course, is a whole other question. And you've really got to talk to boards of directors and partner organizations and all that stuff. But at least it's uh, an option that's on the table that maybe wouldn't have been had you not already invested in this infrastructure and, and what you can learn from it. Um, so I, I don't know how much of that you think about communicating directly to um, you know donors to classrooms or if you think that that kind of muddies the water. I mean, there's a mission question there, not a technology one. So maybe we should get one of your partners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's a, it is a great question. And certainly having the model that we have now, you know, there's a, a robustness to the reports in Salesforce and I, in particular, am really fond of how easy it is to build connections between objects yeah. and sort of do a lot of that cross-reporting that before involved, you know, a lot of exporting to Excel, lots of VLOOKUP functions, <laughs> you know, which if you're a spreadsheet nerd is really fun. And if you're not, is really frustrating and yeah. you can spend a lot of time and come up with some messy data. So having that in our system is super helpful. And it has allowed us to better target donors with the information that's more relevant to them. But additionally, I think for us, it's, it's a lot of how we talk with our, our corporate sponsors and, and looking at needs in particular regions, because we are nationwide, we can sort of see what's going on and where we have concentrations of, of need and where there are, you know, more, more active teachers at a given time. And, you know, part of that that picture for us too is the question of of crowdfunding for yeah. uh, particularly public schools. There's a number of districts and even some states that have either put in place a particular policy saying that their their teachers cannot use these services, or they've made 
you know, strong recommendations on who's allowed to use them, whether it's just the principal or someone in the administration, or if it has to be on, on the district level. And, and so that creates a, another layer of complication for us. And, you know, to your point, an opportunity to say, okay, we, we understand your, your district wants to maybe have control over all of the items that were that are coming into your schools and be able to know what sort of technology is being purchased and used. And, and we totally get all that. And in fact, we're happy to provide you that information for anything that's being purchased through our website. But look, here's the need. Here are all the teachers in your district that over the years have used our site. Here's all the money that that's come in from these individual donors. That's probably materials that are in your schools now that weren't going to be there otherwise. And we know that the funding model for a lot of those districts isn't going to change anytime soon. And so we want to try to show them how we're providing value and want to work in concert with them to improve what's happening at the individual classroom level. And so having access to that data, to have that historic data there, as well as see how many, you know, if I can, if a, a school administrator wants to talk to someone on our team about, hey, we, you know, we saw all of a sudden there's six new iPads in this classroom and, you know, where did, where did those come from or who, you know, I can say, hey, look, it looks like these, these are the teachers that were raising funds. And actually the people who donated those are people who live on the other side of the country, or it came from this corporate sponsor or from this foundation. And they can see how we're a, a tool, a conduit for them getting support that they wouldn't otherwise have any sort of connection to. Yeah, and I think a lot of times it's not about the technology part of this so much as it is the the risk aversion of you know school boards and sometimes but school administrators and others that um, if they're concerned about a, a possible abuse of something like a GoFundMe and of course there's plenty of places where you can go see where that has been abused outside of the Certainly. education system where I, I think probably the motivation is they they really don't want that um, story to come back that that somebody said they were raising money for a classroom and then they took it and went on a trip somewhere and um, that didn't transact. So the, they want to maybe bring that control in in order to feel like they're they're not. But but that accountability part that you can bring to the table, that you can show about you know purchases being made and and verifying that it's actually helping the people that it's supposed to help. The technology helps you to do that, but I think that the the broader problem of if I don't understand the nature of the real challenge that I'm solving, I can put like one big massive ban on something and not deal with, <laughs> and that's you know that broad swath doesn't really address the real yeah. concern. Yeah, and I think, you know, once if uh, if there's someone at the district level or a principal who is reaching out to us, it, it typically is just the case that they want more information or they do have those sort of concerns about, well, this can this be abused? And as soon as we talk about our model and how every teacher who's registered on our site is affiliated with a school and the way they get connected to that school is we maintain a database of all the schools in the U.S. And if a school isn't in our system and a teacher wants to register, they have to fill out a form to get that school added. And someone on our team is researching and connecting with that that school, making sure it's an accredited K-12 through school. And, and so there's all these steps there. We don't ship any supplies to a teacher's home address. We don't ship to any address other than the one that's associated with the school. So everything's coming directly through yeah. them. And he said, we've got all those transparency pieces about the impact report going to donors. And, and we have that internally. We can show exactly what was ordered. And, and even having a network that is educational vendors, you know, a teacher can't go on our sites and order um, 
video games unless it's uh, specific software for uh, physical education through one of our mm-hmm. vendors who specializes in that. Um, we're we're working all the time to make sure that we're giving that transparency to donors. But it's it's really funny. I'll I'll tell people that in all the years that I've been at Adopt a Classroom, there's never been one instance that I've been aware of and been there for five years. There've been one instance where a teacher ordered something that was for their personal use, where a a teacher set up a a classroom page as a way to try to get money that they could then use for something else. There's just never been an an instance of that. The, The truth is that every one of these teachers who is coming to us needs things for their classroom. Right. And this is a, a very a very real need and abuses of it are virtually non-existent. Well, I think kind of we're, we're a little actually past time because we've just been having so much to talk about, but but we do need to wrap up. I think kind of wrapping on the idea of that that core function of the nonprofit organization delivering on a community need is what we're here for. And to hear that some of these tools make it easier, uh, make it more accountable, make it more transparent um, is great that even smaller organizations can bring those things to the table. So um, before we wrap, though, just a final um, word from you on how people can learn more or maybe even figure out how they might choose to adopt a classroom. What should people do if they want to hear more? Yeah, absolutely. Well, our, our name is adoptaclassroom.org, so that's where you can find us. So if you go online, you can learn more about our programs and contribute to a classroom. Uh, if you know a teacher, they might already be registered with us, but if they're not, you should let them know. They can set up a fundraising page through us, and we don't require teachers to meet some sort of fundraising goal before they receive funds. They don't have to make a list of what they need in advance. They don't have to fill out some lengthy grant proposal. It takes like five minutes to set up one of these classroom pages. And as soon as they receive a donation, they can go ahead and order materials. In a lot of cases, those are in their classroom within a couple of days, thanks to our our vendor partners. And so it's a really great way for teachers to get what they need. So I'd encourage you to check out adoptclassroom.org. Follow us on on Facebook, check out our blog and, and see what what we're up to and what we're doing in your community and how you can get involved. Outstanding. That's just, it, it's inspiring. And I'm, again, just excited about everything you've brought to the table with it. So um, uh, Ryan Jordan, Director of Programs and Technology at AdoptedClassroom.org. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Steve.